Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Health Coach Ev Show Off the Air. Every Wednesday at 10 a.m. on WWDB 860 AM, broadcasting out of Philadelphia, Eastern Standard Time that is, we go live on the radio and we broadcast in Philadelphia, but we also stream live on WWDB860.com. You can check us out there. I think it's actually WWDBAM.com. I mess this up every time. Just search for us on Google and you can find it live there. You can stream from anywhere in the world. And then we save those episodes as this podcast. That's great. You can always check it out, usually same day. Uh, So if you missed the radio show, no big deal there. However, the -the off-the-air episodes are because I have so many cool people to talk to and we have a lot of topics we want to cover. And an hour show every single week is just not enough to do it. So you'll find that we have a lot of other conversations throughout every week. Uh, We're trying to release about two to three extra episodes a week right now. And then sometimes I even pop on and I just give little things that I'm learning about in the world of health. Our little slogan here is that we are leveling the playing field around physical and mental health. And what that means is we're talking about things that actually work when it comes to managing health issues, not just what has the most money behind it. So that doesn't mean a bias towards natural medicine. It doesn't mean a bias towards anything. I want to talk to real people who have actually gotten results for their mental and or physical health issues. And I want to know what they did because I've been through a lot of stuff. You could hear this on other episodes. For me, I was put through the ringer health wise. My family was put through the ringer as well. And I want to make sure people have access to all the information out there so that they can make an informed decision. Not that they can go one way or the other. It's not Western versus Eastern. It's that they can make an informed decision and use as much of each as they'd like. Of course, with that said, none of this in here is medical advice. It is all for educational purposes only. Today, um, oh, by the way, this will be cross-promoted on the Overcoming Mental Health Challenges podcast. That was my original podcast. That's the thing I started doing back in very early 2019. And it's cool because that has led to so many different opportunities such as this. But I got to keep it around. It's just a fun one to keep on. We got about 50 episodes there. It's something that still gets traction every single week. So I will admit I'm not as active there, but I like to put episodes like this on because our guest today could not be more relevant for Uh, that podcast. She's talking a lot about the conversations that we were having for the first year there. Courtney Hayes is a certified health coach. She lives in Tampa, Florida. In 2019, she got her health coaching certification at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. So that was actually one of the original certifications I got. So pretty cool. Um, And since then, she has been helping women break free from anxiety and transform their mindset um, through mindset movement and nutrition. So Courtney, thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. One of the things that we always ask, and it's something I still ask on the Health Coach Up show as well, is I like to hear about what people were like as kids. Now, this is to try to figure out when these health issues started. Of course, you and I have talked extensively, and I already kind of know the background, but I'm sure I still have plenty to learn in here. So can we start there? Like, What was Courtney like as a kid? I'm talking like that 5 to 12-year-old range. Were you already dealing with these mental health symptoms? And if so, what was or what were they? Hey, Health Coach Ev here. When you know that you or a loved one would do better mentally with something more than what their current doctor is doing, you can head over to the Patient Experience Center at dhalab.com. View their advanced brain chemistry consultations to quickly and easily test and optimize with an MD. You can take brain health into your own hands today with a 10% discount. Use the code HEALTHCOACHEV when checking out for a 10% discount on any test and consultation services. Guys, I use these people personally when it comes to getting blood work for clients. They are absolutely fantastic. 
good heart with a great mission, uh, please use them. It's dhalab.com. And speaking of mental health, if you're a parent who wants to understand the mental health challenges your child faces, then Lucas Wolf's new book, My Perfect Life, How Depression Almost Ended It and How I Found Purpose Through Pain, is for you. Through goofy, relatable stories, you'll see the world from the eyes of someone silently battling depression. More importantly, you'll learn how Lucas found hope and purpose through his pain. You can get your copy of My Perfect Life today. It's available on Amazon, and that is Lucas Wolf with an E. If you'd like to hear more about Lucas's story as well, you can actually check him out on episode four of the Health Coach Ev show. It's available on all major podcast platforms. So very normal, just your average kid up until about the age of eight. So I was always never really struggled with anxiety, never just a happy, if anything, I was more on the shy side, but just very average, good childhood. Up until age eight, I had my first panic attack. Um, I was sick, just like so with, with a little bug in February of 2004 and was totally fine, got over it within like 48 hours. And then about three, four weeks later, my younger sister had gotten that same bug where she was getting sick. And for some reason, that spiraled the most intense panic and fear where I just broke down. I specifically like very vividly remember pacing back and forth in my driveway and I was just a mess, bawling my eyes out. That was my very first panic attack. And I can remember it. This was, I'm 25 now. I was eight years old and I can remember this. This is one of my most vivid memories of me pacing back and forth, having that first panic attack. And from there, it spiraled a very long battle of anxiety, um, soon to be diagnosed or at the time was soon to be diagnosed OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and panic disorder, and then a phobia called emetophobia, which is a fear of vomiting. So those four things together pretty much took over starting at about eight and a half, um, leading up until, you know, 21, 22 years old. So my childhood after that was a lot of doctor's visits, a lot of heavy medications, and a lot of the anxiety, the then depression just a lot a lot of struggles and trying to fit in as a normal quote-unquote normal happy fun kid um but leaving school early some days because I couldn't handle the anxiety just a lot of heavy stuff so looking back grateful for my childhood I had a lot of experiences a lot of love a lot of friends a lot of family a lot of fun experiences but I also missed out on a ton because mentally I was not okay and I didn't understand it and to be eight and a half, nine years old, placed on my first heavy antidepressant and being told I was diagnosed with four or five different things when my brain was still just developing was a lot for, I think, anyone to go through. So yeah, that was right. pretty much childhood. Okay. And so th- what's really interesting about this conversation is because when Courtney and I first started talking, it was uh, it's one of those things where we're almost identical in the age, about two years apart, lived 30 minutes from each other, didn't know it. And I was dealing, people, especially on the Overcoming Mental Health Challenges podcast will know this all too well because I talk about it all the time. And that is, I dealt with my first panic attack at roughly five, five and a half years old. That's when I can remember it. That's when my parents can go back and say, yeah, you know what? This was going on then. Where the reason I mentioned the same age and living in the same geographic region is that when I went to the doctor, they said, oh, this is Evan getting himself a little too worked up. This is nothing to worry about. I never got diagnosed with anything in terms of anxiety or panic attacks until 15 years old, almost 10 years later. So it's not like the awareness wasn't there, I guess. I mean, this just shows how much it matters to get a second opinion sometimes or, you know, talk to different 
I guess, health, different types of health professionals. So when you went in, I guess, I'm guessing what happened is, all right, you had this panic attack. Did you immediately go to the doctor with your parents? Or was that just like a one-time thing? Let's go. Well, no. So actually one of my mom's best friends and my aunt were both psychologists. So, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, which was lucky. So my mom, I just know, I have a very specific memory too of my mom talking to them. And I don't remember, like, I don't know what she said to them. I don't know the conversations. I don't remember the timeline. I just remember very shortly after that first panic attack, it was like an everyday thing where the OCD ritual started coming. And I remember very shortly after that, sitting in my basement and my mom handed me a Hershey kiss. And she said, I said, what is this? And she said, you know, her, her friend had told her to give me a kiss. And like, it was just like, that was the start where then I'm pretty sure she kind of like sat there, gave me the Hershey kiss and explained what was kind of what they thought was possibly going on. And mm -hmm. I don't remember my very first doctor's appointment, but I remember seeing paperwork in the last few years of an appointment from 2004 of what all of my issues that the doctor had written down, what was going on. So I know that it was early on. Wow. I don't know exactly what do I know I've also been to a ton of doctors. So a ton of different opinions, a lot of finding the right doctor, finding the right therapist, all those different things. But yeah, I know that we talked to a friend first who kind of led us in that direction. And then I'm assuming shortly after my parents made that I don't have that memory, but I'm assuming we kind of moved in that direction once they kind of figured out, okay, this is not just like a one-time thing. She's actually has some stuff going on. Understood. And yeah, obviously, I mean, regardless of what the, it's no big deal is my point that you don't remember the doctor's right. choice because this is an unusual circumstance where you have access to these mental health professionals right. that are able to recognize that so early. So um, who knows, perhaps it would have been similar had you gone to the doctor at the time, because mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that, you know, we constantly talk about, and I really try to drive home because on the um, OMHC podcast, we have, there's definitely younger people who listen and Obviously, we're younger people being 25, right? But it's mm -hmm. very hard to describe how different the approach and conversation around mental health was 10 years ago, let alone, I mean, we're talking five and eight years old. That's like 20 and 17 years old or at 17 years ago, respectively, you know, it, it was a big difference. Like this wasn't really something that I, mean, I don't know about you because you're 30 minutes away, you're at a different school. Like, yeah. were these conversations that you had openly in middle school, like people talking about anxiety and depression, because yeah. that wasn't the case really where I live. Gosh, no, no, not even close. I did not tell anyone. The only people who knew were maybe close friends who had, a, who had witnessed it um, mm -hmm. or my family, my immediate family. But no, I did not tell a soul because I thought I was the only one. I thought I was crazy. I thought, cause it was never talked about. No one ever talked about it. And I would go to the I remember going to my guidance counselor throughout elementary school, middle school, and even high school. And I still was like, it was an open thing that this is what everyone's talking about. You know, you go on Instagram today and you see a million accounts talking about it and just people, it's like a much open, more open conversation now. But no, growing up, it was, I think that was one of the hardest parts. It was feeling so alone with it all. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I definitely want to dive into because it's so it's surprising to me now because again, how rapidly it's changed. Like when I am in a school doing a presentation and I'm pretty sure again, I, I can't remember if it was South or North, but I think I've been to your exact mm -hmm. school and like they, people are coming up to you and just, Oh yeah. Like I have this and you know, I've been dealing with it for a while. Like you think that they're going to tell you something in terms of 
I, you know, I haven't told anyone about this and I do get that occasionally, but like more often than not, they're just like, Oh, thanks for the presentation. Like, yeah, I'm already at my therapist or I go to the counselor. I'm like, right. what? Like right. you, I never ever would have came up and said that because you just wouldn't do that. Right. Um, and some of these schools, I mean, I, the one I had a presentation literally stopped halfway through in a good way because the seventh graders were willing to have a group discussion with the entire class about the different things that they uh, we're dealing with now, not all of them had dealt with stuff, yeah. but it was just remarkable to me to see the transition. So let's kind of move into those, I guess, middle school years. I mean, mm -hmm. is this something where I know that you got on um, a medication pretty early on, like you said, like that was like, what, eight or nine years old that you started the medication? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was like right when I turned nine. Yeah. Okay. Now I always, again, I'm like I said in the intro, I'm not biased towards these things. Mm -hmm. I do think it's good to figure out the underlying causes, but medication does work for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Like, Was this something that did help you a lot? Oh my gosh. It saved me, honestly. And this is the biggest thing because I reached my breaking point. We can get into this later on, but I reached my breaking point with the medication after 14, 15 years of it. Honestly, it's saved. Like I can truthfully say that I feel like I don't know where I would be if I if that wasn't the solution at the time, because I didn't know about any of these other lifestyle changes. I wasn't aware that I was, a lot of my choices were, you know, really contributing to just, I wasn't helping myself. But at the time, absolutely. I really like, there's such, there can be such a stigma about all these different things, but I truthfully like at that moment, I think that is what I needed and it's all we kind of knew, you know? Right. And I mean, certainly I want to be responsible here and not yeah. necessarily quote unquote recommend Absolutely. medications, yeah. but just to get the category down, I mean, I'm assuming you're probably referring to some type of SSRI, correct? That yeah. Did this? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So th that's, and see guys, this is why we have these conversations because I've had a uh, legitimate PhD um, in psychology on this thing before. And he was talking about what he's seen clinically. Now, of course, he doesn't prescribe medication, but he worked in an office uh, or closely with a psychiatrist. And he said about 30% of people with SSRIs in his practice that he's seen for you know a couple decades, um, they get great, they get a lot better. They don't have side effects. They feel good. It's a miracle, right? Two, three weeks in, they're like, this is so cool. I don't have depression. I don't have anxiety. Fantastic. 60% he estimated really virtually nothing happens at all, maybe some mild side effects and 10%, they get tremendously worse. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's scary to me, right? Because you have, I mean, a one out of 10 chance roughly of getting severely worse, a three out of 10 chance of it actually working. Um, and a, you know, six out of 10 chance that this does just about nothing. Right. So um, it is great that you fell into that 30% category, especially with the severity um, of the things that you were dealing with. Right. So in middle school and high school, kind of transitioning to that, I mean, I know just because a medication is working well, doesn't mean that everything's perfect. Like, mm -hmm. were you still actively, like, even with taking the medication, were you actively dealing with symptoms of these mental health issues in middle and high school? Oh, constantly. Because, well, one of okay. the medication was, it took, I've been on, I, I can't even count how many I've been on because they would work for a little bit. And then I would have flare-ups. So I was constantly, it was appointments every, I think it was every three to six weeks where I was going back to see, to, to check in, see if we need to adjust, see if we need to lower it, raise it, change the medication. So it was a constant adjustment. So, you know, medication will work for little bits at a time, but it wouldn't be super consistent. So in middle school and high school, it was, yeah, it was rough. It was a lot of my OCD habits were actually physical habits. So blinking a certain amount of times or just doing things and, taking like it taking me a while to leave a room or turn the light switch on and off like a certain amount of times it was a lot mm -hmm. um so there was the embarrassment with that there was the struggle there were panic attacks in school um 
sophomore, junior year of high school, especially, were very, very, very challenging. A lot of days missed, a lot of leaving early, a lot of just fighting in the morning with my parents because I didn't want to go because I felt like I physically couldn't. So I would have my peak years. Like looking back, it, it was very up and down. Like sixth grade, I remember being okay. Seventh grade was more rough. Ninth grade was okay. Tenth and eleventh were really rough. So it was, I honestly, it was really just a matter of if the medication was working, how, like it really was very unpredicted. I wouldn't know if one day I would wake up and I would have a panic attack. Like it was very, very unexpected and kind of out of the blue and a little bit irregular. Got it. So yeah, when you say the medication saved you, what you're referring to then is not that it, it made everything sunshine and rainbows, oh, yeah. but what it did was push you from, or uh, prevent you from being pushed like over the edge yeah, type of thing. Yeah, where, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. And I mean, wow, I just cannot uh, relate to this anymore. I mean, this other than it sounds like, you know, you were dealing with very legitimate OCD. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hadn't had too much of that when I was younger, like, believe it or not, in that five to seven year old range. It's really interesting that you mentioned the blinking thing because the OCD was never the prominent symptom. Mm -hmm. But like I had this thing where um, when we're driving on the road, like obviously I'm not driving, my parents are driving or whatever. And you're not telling anyone about this, right? But Mm -hmm. like, you know how um, there's like solid yellow lines and then there's like spaced out yellow lines. Mm -hmm. I hated to cross paths with another car in the open space between the yellow lines. Like that very much upset me. Like we had to hit it at the perfect time. And every time we passed a church, that's where the blinking thing came in. I felt like I needed to blink the whole time or I thought I was going to die. Like I thought I was going to die if I did not blink near a church. And when I looked back and I missed something, I'm like, oh my God, like what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. So that really, as far as I remember, um, and I, I, I get, you know, it's tough to have these conversations even still to this day, because to people listening, I mean, I'm assuming you know enough about mental health to not judge these things, but it, that sounds rather strange. I mean, right. I can accept that. Yeah. that that's hard to accept yeah. for people. I would love to know then, because I, I dealt with these limited symptoms in that category only for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're in middle school and high school, can we, let, let's structure it this way. Everyone out there, unfortunately, thinks OCD means the friend that has like a clean kitchen. Uh, and that is not what OCD uh, is. So no. let's, can you explain to us what this is and like what that actually looks like a little more? Yeah. Now? So OCD is obsessive compulsive disorder. So it is having these obsessive thoughts and then having these compulsions that you literally feel like you need to do in order for the thought to quote unquote go away. And if you don't do the specific whatever it is, so the compulsion, whether it's A lot of it has to do with numbers. So for me, a lot of it was walking in and out of a room four times. Four was always my number. So, or turning a light switch on and off four times. Like I would have those obsessive thoughts. Oh, I have to do that. I have to do the blinking. I have to turn the light switch on and off. I have to say a phrase, whatever it is. It's something you felt like you had to do. Otherwise you, you had, you like convince yourself that something bad would happen. So for me, because I had the emetophobia, which is the phobia of vomiting, I felt like if I didn't do certain things that I was going to be sick and that, and if I didn't do the task, I would freak out. It would lead me into a panic attack. Like it was a whole cycle that I literally felt so stuck on. And it was just a little part of my brain that was so obsessed with it and I couldn't let it go, you know? So that's kind of what the OCD is. It's because yes, I hear that all the time and I'm not going to blame people because you don't like, it's just what the most common misconception of OCD is of, oh, I need things clean and organized. And you hear people all the time say, oh, I'm so OCD or she's so OCD, mm-hmm. she's so clean. She's so organized. And in my head, I'm like, no, that's not what it is. So yeah, it's right. as obsessive and, uh, com- thoughts and the compulsions to do them. 
Yeah, and, and people know that have been following for a while. I'm not a particularly, I'm not as politically correct as a lot of people in the mental right. health space. And that's because I know I'm a decent dude that has good intentions. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't really care about that. Mm-hmm. But there are certain things that annoy me. Yes, no, calling someone that is clean OCD, it's not that I'm politically correct with that. It's that that is an inaccurate statement and not actually what it is. Right. And the other one I hear, I don't think there are two that are worse with the stigma um, in terms of because people don't think about this, but bipolar, someone's having a bad day. They're a little angry. Oh, you know, he or she's so bipolar. It's like, that's not what bipolar is. Yeah. People have moments when right. they're angry right. um, and bipolar people are not necessarily angry at all. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but right. I mean, this is more characterized by times of mania than times of depression and mania Absolutely. could just look like being high, like feeling really good, actually, you Absolutely. know, not so it's just, it's, it's annoying. So I appreciate that clarity and explaining yeah. um, that type of stuff. And I mean, so especially that's so tough. Like the light switch thing and the going in and out of the room, like four times, like, are you doing this in class or whatever? Like, do you have to figure out a way to sneak that past people? Or are you just like, how does that work? I mean, the light switch, that was obviously a home thing, the in and out of rooms. Yeah. I I remember I would pretend like I forgot something in the classroom or like, get. Wow. yeah. And it got even to a point where I remember friends saying like, are you okay? What are you doing? And I'm like, Oh, I, I can't explain what I'm doing right now, but just let me do it. So the thought goes away, you know? So, um, and again, it would, it would ebb and flow. So if I was, if my medication was working or I was having, I had good days. Like this wasn't every single day, but it was about, it was a majority of the time, but you know, it wasn't all day every day either. So I had my moments and a lot of times, maybe the rituals, like I kind of learned how to do it. It's, it's weird. I learned how to almost do them secretively. So in sometimes, okay, if I couldn't do the light switch on and off, obviously in a classroom, then I would change to rituals in my head. Like I have to say a certain phrase in my head four times or like touch my pencil four times in order. Wow. For the, yeah. So it was very subtle things, but I found out how to kind of feed into those compulsions. And it was a lot of, you know, what I worked with doctors on doing and my therapist was trying to fight those, fight those voices in my head and fight those compulsions and just really fight back but and obviously the more you fight back and the more you train your brain that okay nothing's actually happening nothing's wrong this is just my mind trying to play tricks on me Mm -hmm. the better it'll get but at the same time that's where you really need to fight through because it's like those voices got louder and louder and louder if you didn't do it so well yeah this would be tough enough to deal with as an adult i mean all this stuff i I try to always explain to people because so much of our our stories on here are like it usually is a young adult I'm kind of interviewing, typ- mm-hmm. not always, but typically. Right. And so a lot of these stories are re- relating around like childhood years. And it's like, you're you're dealing with this plus the added stress of just mm-hmm. you know, being in middle school and trying to keep up with the Joneses and be popular or whatever. Yeah. So that's why I was like, I mean, that I, I figured that that's what you were going to say, like something about like you created a way to yeah. kind of like, all right, I forgot something type of thing. Right. Yeah. But how do you forget something like four times? I mean, right. that's just, that's tough. So excuse me, I really appreciate this perspective because I do not think out of, again, almost 40 or uh, almost 50 episodes, I don't think we've ever had someone come on here and maybe they've like listed OCD, but they've never explained to us Mm -hmm. what this is actually like uh, because it's just something that there's a lot of misunderstanding around. So uh, we'll move away from that. But I think one of the most important things that you mentioned too, and I want to make sure I have this correct. So you had this... uh, phobia, like you said, of vomiting Mm -hmm. and obviously panic disorder. Now these are all technically separate things that you could have individually, but you're saying, if I heard you correctly, the OCD and the stress that would come from maybe not performing a ritual 
could lead to feeling like you're going to throw up, which could lead to a panic attack. Is that like correct? It's almost oh, like yeah. a- they were all correlated. So I had the emetophobia, which is like you said, the phobia of, of throwing up. Um, and the phobia was so intense that my OCD yeah, was surrounding the phobia. So I felt like I had to do the certain rituals to prevent myself from getting sick. And if, but that would also produce the anxiety. And my biggest anxiety symptom, here's the icing on the cake, was nausea. You know how you can like, you can experience anxiety in so many different ways. So my symptom, I always felt it in my stomach and not stomach aches, nausea. So, Mm -hmm. but when I'm nauseous, that triggers my fear and my phobia and the OCD. So it was literally one giant mess of a vicious cycle that it was just, it was never ending. But yeah, they all fed off of each other. Wow. Did yeah. you, Um. I mean, because, you know, again, we're very realistic on this um, podcast. In high school, a lot of people get into, um, not everyone, but a lot of people get into drinking or, or smoking or whatever. Was substance ever like a thing for you? And how did that play into this? Or is that just something you kind of stayed away from? It actually was. So it was something that I, that I did get into. So uh, I was definitely on the Okay, later side for like where I grew up and my group of friends, but early for probably anyone else. Um, but I was always very, and I still to this day am the very, very cautious drinker where I like, I got into drinking. I got very into the party scene, honestly, throughout high school and college. Um, and, you know, I did get sick a few times and it did trigger this anxiety, but. And obviously, whenever I drank, my anxiety would spike the next day. So it was a whole cycle. Um, But I was also always the one that at any party, I had a stack of saltines and a a ginger ale and just like all the my almost like emergency bag of like things in case I didn't feel well. Like I was always super cautious. Okay, what is this? Have I drank enough water? Nope, that's my limit. Like I was always the very I was like the anti high school college college person who was into partying, but was like the most cautious person ever because of all okay so, <laughs> yeah you know people would make fun of me but still to this day like i go out to the bar and i have like here's my activated charcoal all right i'll have a water this time like <laughs> that's always how i well i heard that i mean yeah i don't go to the yeah. bar but you, you yeah. know if on the occasion that that does happen yeah. i'm definitely bringing activated charcoal yeah, so yeah. <laughs> yeah but i've you know i've had my fair share of panic attacks while drinking while you know under the influence and i've it's not fun it's not enjoyable at all but it was definitely something that I still got into and I didn't really let the anxiety kind of stop me. Um, Obviously it didn't help it, but you know, I still like looking back at high school and college, I still had fun experiences. Like I can look back and say, I've lived a good life. Like I've enjoyed myself. I've had fun with friends. I've done a lot of different things. Um, Take all of the mental health and everything I faced out of the picture. Would have, would it have been a lot better? Absolutely. But you know, it didn't necessarily stop me entirely from, doing everything that like quote unquote normal kids would do, you know? Yes, yes, yes. And that's such a big thing because when I, um, you know, write about this stuff in like the book or mm-hmm. on the podcast, we talk about whatever I, some people will look back in high school. Like, oh, I didn't know you were going through that all the time. It's like, well, listen, it wasn't all the time. I'm not going to lie for me, especially in high school, it was pretty bad. Like 90 plus percent of the time but like middle school was more of an on and off thing yeah you know that wasn't every day is not bad no there are days you go out with your friends and you have a great time and you feel good and then you're able to go home and and that's that but that's what was so tough is like you said there's almost this seemingly randomness between the days and i'm like what the hell did i do wrong today that 
either didn't happen yesterday that now I feel this way. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's move forward then. I guess we, we kind of went past middle school, high school, and I think it was, like you said, the early 20s, 21, 22, mm-hmm. that you finally are just having what you call the breaking point yeah. with the medication. Like, what is that breaking point? What did that look like? Oh, boy. So I remember I was having yet another flare-up where – you know, I had a good couple months where I was like, all right, I'm feeling good, not panic attacks every day. And always, every time I had a doctor's appointment, it was, okay, how are your OCD symptoms? How's your anxiety? How many panic attacks are you having? Like, how are you getting through the days? Scale of one to 10, how much is it interfering? And I'm pretty sure I had to call my psychiatrist and schedule an appointment because I was doing so terribly. And so at the time I was on Zoloft and the highest dose of Zoloft there is, is 200 milligrams. And she knew me and she knew that I Googled everything. So if she were to tell me, here's the medication you're on, I'm in there like literally while she's talking to me, Googling the side effects because I'm so paranoid and just that's always how I was. So she tells me, I go in there and she was like, we're kind of going down the list. Like, all right, basically you've been on this, 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 this. So she was like, all right, Zoloft has worked for you because I was on it for six years, six or seven years. And she was like, Technically, 200 milligrams is the highest legal dose, but I want to bump you up to um, I want to bump you up to 250 milligrams, and you can start today. Just take an extra half a tablet. Don't Google it. Like your body can handle it. You've been on it for long enough. And granted, I'm a 5'2", 110 pound. Like I'm a petite person who has been on medication. I'm now 21 years old at the time, and I've been on. Like my brain, my body doesn't know what it was like to not be on medication. And here I am, like I'm going into my, I think I was going into my senior year of high school. I was in the middle of junior or sorry, college. And I was just like, there has to be another way. And hearing her say, I'm putting you on a dose that's above the legal limit because you need it. I literally, I walked out of that office. I swear I zoned everything else out. I walked out, called my mom and I was like, I am done living this way. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, mom, there has to be another way. Wow. I was like the biggest aha moment. Cause I've said, you know, Oh, I hate living this way. What was me? I always had a very negative. I'm stuck like this. This is my future forever, which obviously like triggered a lot of the depression and everything. So I was like, this is no way for someone to live their life. And I was honestly like, yes, I had my enjoyable experiences, but it was it was just a lot. And I wasn't happy with how my mind was like, it was just, it was a tough place to be. And so when I walked out of that office, I called my mom and I was like, I don't care what I have to do. We are figuring out another way. I am not doing this anymore. I'm not moving up to 250 milligrams. I was like, that is insane. And she was like, yeah, like that, that is insane. You know what? So you mm-hmm. know, she was super supportive. My whole family was super supportive. And they're like, what can we do to support you? So I honestly like, we had some family friends who were very into holistic health. One of them had actually um, done IIM, the Integrative Nutrition School. So I talked to her and she explained, you know, gut health and the gut brain connection, all of that. And I really just started diving deep into all this. And so that was my breaking point. And I weaned myself off. It took about 11 months because it's a very, you have to do it very slowly. Um, but I managed to make a lot of changes, which I'm sure we'll get into. And uh yeah, I weaned myself off. But that was my major breaking point. I was like, I, I can't. I just, something clicked. Yeah. And I don't know if it was just the way you told the story or just the fact that I, I call them like my aha moments. Uh-huh. Like I've had very similar things to what you're saying, uh-huh. but it just, that, that got me when you just, yeah. I can picture you walking out of the office and you're just like, this is it. Like I got to figure this like, out. What the heck am I doing now? Like I'm, I'm done. Right. But I got to ask, like, what is, 
I mean, I know you just said that you had, you know, holistic practitioners kind of uh, mm-hmm. as family friends. So perhaps that was it. What is it, though, that is bridging the gap? Like, why do you think that there's a better way? Because, Courtney, there is plenty of people, tens of millions that never think like that. Like, why did you believe there's a better way? Because I was told something around that time that not one single doctor, not one single person, not one teacher in school had ever taught me, which was the gut brain connection. And I realized, so I learned that, wow, what I'm eating actually can have effect on my mental health and how I'm feeling. And I was like, I literally asked myself, I was like, well, what's my diet look like? I was like, all right, well, processed food for breakfast, processed food for lunch, processed food for dinner, ice cream, and you know, like the most unhealthy diet there possibly was artificial everything. And I never thought that that was an issue because I was like, I honestly grew up to believe you know, my mom tried feeding us healthy foods, but I was a stubborn kid that wants to eat the mac and cheese, the cookies and the cake, you know? like Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, I genuinely thought that the only reason people ate clean was to try to lose weight. Like I, didn't, <laughs> I and I was like, you know what? I have a fast metabolism as a kid. I was always a stick growing up and I'm like, I'm fine. Like I would literally in high school, my senior year of high school, I would go into school. I would get a Chick-fil-A sandwich and a muffin and a bagel for breakfast and my snack and then have like another bagel for lunch and like carb processed carb queen. Like I just, I can't even imagine how I'd feel if I ate that way now, but I'm like, okay, so you're telling me what I'm eating could be why I feel terrible. So that was the, that was the first part and just really learning. Okay. Wow. There is a huge connection here and no one ever told me that. And obviously like when you hear something like that, it's almost like, okay, well, that seems too easy. You know, like there, why wasn't that ever told before? Is that actually true? And then I started researching it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is actually true. And that's when I got really invested into, okay, what am I eating? Let's learn about nutrition. Let's learn about healing the body. Let's learn about how to control your thoughts and mindset. And that's where I like dove deep and like changed, you know, changed everything. Right. Well, now we've officially hit the point where yeah. the stories are damn near identical because yeah. I, I was in the same thing. I was just like the male equivalent of that being, you know, I mean, you're more petite. I was you're six foot tall, 150 pounds mm-hmm. at one point. And I mean, now I'm, you know, like 175. So right. even that's still, I mean, technically on the light, that's less than 50% of males that are six foot tall right. are 175. Um, but the thing was, I actually described that all the time, the exact wording you just used is my thing was, if you don't gain excess fat, you don't have to eat well. Like I legitimately believe that mm-hmm. I never made the connection between that and my mental health or my GERD or my acne or all of yeah. these different things. Another thing I struggled um, with, yeah. acne. <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah. So, and I think one of the things too, is, I mean, if you're dealing with panic attacks, I, I, this is no basis in science, but I have to imagine this does something. I mean, that is just such a stressful, high intensity, I imagine calorie demanding experience on the body that I felt like I was just burning stuff anyway. Like maybe that is why some people with this are, there's like that stereotypical person that I, I talk to, like they're dealing with panic attacks and they also have this almost like lean to the point of being unhealthy type thing. And I wonder if it's just because we're burning this stuff, like absolute no one's business because of that. So it makes a lot of sense. So this is amazing. You have these little things that, I mean, in the beginning, I mean, maybe that wasn't a good thing. I don't know, but Mm -hmm. you've had like these people that were just perfectly in your life. Like, okay, you know, we have a family uh, member kind of in the, 
psychology background or whatever. Now we have this person coming in and talking about the gut brain yeah. thing. And it, it's just cool to hear that breaking point. You're like, all right, I'm going to figure this out. So what the heck does, other than the 11th month taper off Zoloft, which sounds like absolute hell, yeah. um, what does figuring it out mean? Like, what are some of the first things that you did and that you learned about? So first I really dove into, okay, what am I eating? And I brought a lot of awareness to what I was actually feeding my body. And coming from a dad who has celiac disease, a sister and a mom who are both gluten sensitive, I was like, okay, well, I feel like I probably should experiment with gluten. And even like the family friend who kind of got me into all of this, she has celiac too. So we were talking all about gluten and I was like, all right, it's worth experimenting. So I ended up cutting out gluten. And then I also, it was more, I was bringing awareness to how I was feeling after certain foods. And when I actually thought about it and I started to cut some of these foods out. So I cut out dairy and gluten actually to this day, that's still what I'm off of. Um, I notice a huge difference. First of all, in my bloating, in my stomach issues, in the nausea. And I was like, wait a second, this is actually me. And obviously it takes some time for your body to adjust a little bit, but then I experimented with bringing it back in to the point where I was like, okay, this is definitely making a difference. So it was slowly that. And then I remember I did my very first meditation with a friend and I was like, wow, this was eight minutes of actually calming myself. And that felt really good. Like, you know, all these different things. And then you know, I learned so much throughout 15, 16 years of therapy where I was like, okay, let me, it was almost tying everything together. Like I still to this day remember a lot of what I've learned throughout therapy. And so it's, it was a lot of tying everything in together. So one healing the gut and really focused on, aside from the gluten and the dairy, it was, you know, trying to really incorporate more whole foods and becoming aware of like, I became not obsessive, but really aware of the ingredients on packages and packaged food and okay I can't pronounce 30 of these things and why are there colors and numbers in these ingredients this can't be something that, <laughs> yeah. like, what is blue 40 you know like it was I'm like okay these are things that probably aren't benefiting me so and I noticed now like if I eat things like that it's you I feel I genuinely will feel a difference in my mental state so it was bring awareness to it it was slowly incorporating more whole healthy foods and I was really grateful to have a family who also was kind of going through this whole like transition from because obviously you know we grew up in the 90s and early 2000s early 2000s so you know gluten wasn't really ever heard of like you know it was I feel like it's times have really changed with healthy eating and organic and all of that so I think kind of as a whole my family started to kind of make the transition together where it was mid-college I started you know my family started buying really healthy foods, cooking healthy meals. And I started getting a lot from my mom. And then I was kind of carrying it into cooking, you know, myself in college. So nutrition was a very big factor, obviously, with cleaning up my diet, cutting out certain food groups, focusing on bringing in more whole foods, um, you know, limiting the processed foods, still keeping a healthy balance, but really trying to bring awareness. And honestly, it almost became like a fun, I don't want to say game, but it almost became addicting for me to start to clean up my diet and start to make all these changes and realize, okay, wait, this is working. Let's do more and let's just keep going. And that's really mm -hmm. where I got my whole passion. That's where I was like, I need to do something like this needs to be my career. This is my purpose. This is my passion. And I really like little by little, I started to see changes. And honestly, once I was off that medication, I kind of like, I felt unstoppable. And I was like, I just did one of the biggest, hardest things in my entire life. Mm -hmm. let's go like <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and it, just, it almost forces you into the work and that's exactly yeah. how I got into this yeah. I went 
I think for us too, it's like when we're talking about five and eight years old, I mean, let's be honest, memory wise, that might as well be the same thing. Anything before 10 is pretty much damn near the same. Cause I don't remember too much at that time. And when you go through this and you're 20 something years old, early twenties, and it's been the majority of your life, you know, especially, and certainly the majority of the life that you remember uh, well, you've dealt with these things Mm -hmm. and then to find something that works that you weren't really told about in a conventional setting. It's like, how could I do anything else? I I don't, I I literally have tried um, not purposely, but it was like, you know, I'd go do a different type of job in my uh, late teens and early Mm twenties and and went into these sales jobs and did these things. I'm just like, what am I doing? Like I got to follow this and tell people about these things and, and help people. So I I totally get that. And it's like, that's just a passion that hasn't died out. It never gets old. Even just having a conversation like this and just hearing it's validating too. I mean, to hear, I mean, almost an identical story of, uh, because you're, you started removing the same things that I did. Mm-hmm. My, the only mm-hmm. modification of mine was that I went like, um, what do you call it? I went like all organic first. I don't know. Was that something that you okay. did early on in the journey? No. I mean, I think when I tried getting all organic, it was like, let's get the organic cookies instead. So I don't think I did it. <laughs> okay. It was more in the very beginning stages of, oh, you know, I got organic cereal today and it still has like blue 40, you know, <laughs> like. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so, so yeah, similar, but. Um, not as much. That wasn't like the number one priority, but definitely some like awareness and more of an effort, I guess. Got it. All right. So how, um, and actually I want to, I should have mentioned this. I want to touch on this because it's relevant. I I think you had mentioned something with your mom on this podcast, but I want to just be clear. Both of your parents have their own issues with gluten, like that they figure it out as well. Correct? For the most part. So my dad, Yes, times a million. So he has celiac disease um, and he was diagnosed in 2000. I was in sixth grade. So what was that? 2007, 2006. I don't even know what year that was. Um, But again, it was so unheard of that I went to school the next day and I told my friends my dad was allergic to glucose because I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. I was like, you know, the craziest thing. My dad's allergic to glucose. They're like, to what? I was like, I don't know. But, I'm so sorry. Like <laughs> no one has any idea what she's being talked about. Um, but so yeah, he's super, super sensitive to it. Um, like cross contamination, he will be very sick for weeks. So um pretty much well at first we had like a whole gluten free section in the house, gluten free sponge, gluten free fridge, but now like organically kind of my family has started to just do gluten free households because my dad has mm-hmm. been sick too frequently with all the cross contamination. Um and then through that, I think I don't know if we started to all develop the sensitivities because we weren't having it that much um, or it just happened to we actually were aware of it. But my sister actually started having a decent amount of health issues and she tried cutting gluten out and exact same thing, like miracles, like total transformation. She was experiencing a lot of body pain and body aches, um, a lot of stomach issues, acne and cutting out the gluten and the dairy for her did a very similar thing. Um, and she struggled a little bit with anxiety too. And then my mom, I don't think she's that sensitive, to be honest. I think she does it more in a loving, supportive way for my dad to help and all of that. Like, I'm pretty sure if she were were to have it, it wouldn't affect her that much. But I also know she feels lighter and feels better off of it. So I don't know the extent of her quote unquote sensitivity. I just know that she's gluten free probably 99.9% of the time. Hey, Allie, how's it going? 
not so great health coach of it's the holiday season. What? Shouldn't that mean you are merry and jolly? Well, I'd like to feel that way, but my family's coming to my house this year. That means that I'll have to deal with the embarrassment of my dog, Skippy, jumping all over them as soon as they walk in the door. Oh, that old Skippy. Hey, I have just the solution for you, though. Have you heard of Eric Katz with Cats, Dogs, Canine? Cats, Dogs, Canine? Yeah, Cats, Dogs, Canine. Eric Katz is a great friend of mine who has been in the dog business for years now. He offers doggy daycare, boarding, and training for Bucks in Montgomery County. The guy's got more five-star Facebook reviews than you can count, and he even won Best of Montgomery County for boarding and pet training. So you're telling me that Eric can get Skippy to finally stop jumping on people and embarrassing the heck out of me? You bet. I actually lived with Eric for a while and saw him fix issues like that in a matter of two to three weeks. The guy's a dog whisperer. Okay, okay, I'm in. Where can I find him? You can get in contact with Eric by heading over to catsdogsk9.com. Cats is spelled K-A-T-Z. That's catsdogsk9k9.com. When you give him a call, tell him you know Health Coach Ev. Hey, are you looking to increase your credibility and grow your health coaching business so that you can confidently solve health issues? Perhaps you have been struggling with your own health and want not only to help yourself, but also help others. Well, we have the course for you. Functional Diagnostic Nutrition provides you with cutting-edge functional lab assessment training, access to lab testing, and other resources to continuously enhance your knowledge about functional health practices so you can actually fix the health issues you or your clients are facing. This all enables you to create a successful referral-based business globally by doing what you love while positively impacting others. Upon completing the course, you also become board certified through our partnership with the American Association of Drugless Practitioners to enhance your credibility. We are here to support people on a deeper level to get real results and grow your health coaching business. To talk to someone and learn more, you can email fdninfo at afdnp.com. That's fdninfo at afdnp.com. Guys, FDN is actually the certification I got several years back. Fallon's going through it right now. Changed my life. Fallon, are you liking the course? Oh my gosh, yeah, it's so fun. Cool. So, all right, two for two. You guys got to check it out. Nice. All right. And well, yeah, I mean, no one's out there benefiting from it. Guys, no one needs this food. The number one thing that wheat does for Americans is gives them B vitamins because bread and those types of things are fortified with it. If bread is your number one source of B vitamins, that is not good. Okay. Like that's really missing the mark. Um, so trust me when we say you can live without it. And I do want to make one thing clear, not that this is, I mean, technically a whole conversation about gluten, but I, I have to hone in on this one point because I see this so consistently. Just because we have someone like Courtney where, oh, well, this must be happening because her dad has celiacs. Mm -hmm. Guys, this happens all of the time without celiacs. I am still to this day dumbfounded by some of the results that people get. Um, of course, we won't mention names, uh, but Courtney and I have a mutual connection who is undergoing this process right now for migraines. This is a person that's had migraines for years. They don't have a family history that they know of. You know, dad's not celiacs or whatever. And the person is texting me two, three weeks in, like these are already happening less frequently. You know, I'm having less painful, um, you know, cycles and stuff like that. We're talking a few weeks. And what Courtney was referencing before and why I'm making a big point about the three weeks thing is because you need to do this longer term. term. Mm -hmm. When she's saying that they have gluten-free sponges or a gluten-free section in the refrigerator, you're like, maybe why do you need to do that? Guys, there's been studies showing that for people that are sensitive to this or have celiacs, a, I guess, piece you could call it of gluten, the 10th of a size of your thumbnail 
when consumed, can trigger an immune response in these types of people for three to six months afterwards. Now, does that mean month three, day 90 is as bad as day one? No, it doesn't. But it does mean that there's an elevated antibodies in the in the bloodstream, which are causing inflammation. It causes it's an immune response. Now we know that this is almost like unique to gluten as a food overall. It's a very strange thing, but this is powerful stuff. So we don't want to be you know messing around with this. And when we remove it, we got to do it right because there's this really sad subgroup of people, and I mean sad in the sense of I just feel bad for them, where they're like, oh, I tried to remove it and it didn't work. I'm like, how long did you do it for? About a week, week and a half, and. I'm like, okay. And during that week, week and a half, did you like, you know, go out to eat? They're like, yeah, yeah, no, but I asked for gluten-free. I'm like, okay, these poor people have no idea how bad this really is. Yeah. You know, because you really, a lot of these individuals, they can't um, go out to eat. And I know your dad has like a, a whole blog. I mean, how does he, again, we're not focused just on gluten in this conversation, but I am curious. I mean, how does he go out to eat and, and do this stuff? Like, does he just have specific restaurants he knows he can trust? Yeah, he has specific restaurants. And I think it's been a lot of trial and error. Like the amount of times he's gotten, we call it glutened. I don't know if that's an actual term or just what my family calls it. But <laughs> yeah, I think it's just what my family calls it. But the amount of time he's gotten glutened and like gotten sick through restaurants is way more than we can count. And you know, it's a miserable process, especially for my mom, because he's, you know, it affects his mood, it affects he's just bedridden, he's exhausted, his stomach hurts for two, three weeks at a time, because it stays in your body like that. And it really takes him a while to get back on his feet. And it even could be because, oh, you know, it's a gluten free menu, but the kitchen wasn't, it didn't prepare it safely. So for restaurants, you know, he has his go to a lot of times, he'll call, he'll ask to talk to the manager, he'll really try to just you know, word of mouth. Oh, other people see like eat there and say it's fine. So he has to be cautious, but he definitely like whenever we go out to eat as a family, it's usually our known go to's. But you know, if we're out as a family too, my dad is always talking to the waitress or the waiter and saying, Hey, I have celiac. It's very severe. Like I need to know that this is a hundred percent gluten free. What's like, it's a whole conversation we have every single time. So. Right. And it's uh, just, just such a shame. And I don't, mm-hmm. I am more of someone who promotes if you will the light rather than attacks the dark and i mean like the dark is in the bad things in medicine but this is a direct area where we are failing these people and this has to do with the mental health conversation there was a study done showing that one year after people got their celiac diagnosis and went quote unquote gluten free only seven percent of those individuals had a healed gut lining after one year. Now, for those that don't know, what celiacs does is, obviously, Courtney knows this now, it's not an allergy. It is an autoimmune response to um, gluten. So your body, literally the small intestine starts getting attacked. And these microvilli that are in the intestine get broken down. You have malabsorption issues, you have nutrient issues. And this is why celiacs manifest in a million different ways for people. And some, it looks like psychosis. It looks like very severe mental health issues. Why? They don't have the proper nutrients. They can't actually digest the stuff. They're in a chronic immune state. So 7% of the people that get diagnosed with this a year later, despite the epithelial cell layer in the gut lining being some of the fastest regenerating cells in the body, we're talking about a few day turnover, 7% have a healed gut lining. We're failing these people. We are failing these people in medicine and we're failing these people as a society. So 
it's it's a shame to me when I'm talking to someone and they're like, do I really have to do all that for gluten free? I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah. Because we're, we're disadvantaged right now. So I will get the hell off my soapbox with that. I apologize. But it's something I'm so passionate about. I cannot even imagine, you know, being someone, it's one thing to be like us, and we have this sensitivity, but admittedly, I wouldn't have like, I, I don't have any reaction that's going to put me in the hospital, no. you know, like, I'll notice fatigue, I'll notice uh, probably some skin issues, whatever. And I'm very diligent about the gluten free mm -hmm. thing. But I can't even imagine being your dad. And knowing I'm going to a restaurant, they tell me it's gluten free. And well, I know it wasn't because look what just happened to my body. Right. So it's just it, it's a shame. Um, guys, I'm telling you out there again, it's there's no medical advice here. It's just educational purposes. If it were me, and I could go back in time, the one of the first things I would do is get the heck off gluten. And if you need help doing that, I would read The Autoimmune Fix by Dr. Tom O'Brien. Even if you don't have an autoimmune disease, very good book, very good reference that talks a lot about gluten and um, how it affects these types of conditions and how to actually get off of it and remove it properly. So I'll take a breath there. We're good to go. Um, how did this all lead, going back to you, how did this lead to you actually going to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition? Because were you trying these dietary things before that, or was this happening simultaneously? Um, a little, no, I was, I was doing it beforehand, but it also continued. Like, I definitely improved while going to the school. Um, but same family friend who had told me that uh, just about the whole gut-brain connection, um, I remember we were, were at her house in LA at the time, and she... I was now, what, I think, I was a junior in college, actually. So, you know, starting to, I'm pretty sure I just declared my major that semester, my second semester junior year, because I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. So I picked communication studies because I figured maybe that'll give me a broad enough option of choices to choose from. Mm -hmm. But I've always been that person, very indecisive, never had like a true passion, always just kind of all over the place, go with the flow. But I like... I envied people who knew what they wanted to do with their life. I envied people who, growing up, okay, what do you want to be when you grow up? Even since I was little, I was like, I don't know. Like, I've always <laughs> like, a teacher, I guess. I don't, like, I never knew. So, um, she had told me about IAN, and, you know, she had actually spoken. She's, teach, she's taught one of the lectures. She, and she attended it, and she was like, I think you would love this school. And I was like, oh, but it's in New York. And she's like, no, it's online. Because it was a I'm like, oh. right. So I was like, all right, awesome. So I thought about it. And the more I looked into it, the more it just kind of seemed like something I wanted to do. So I kind of kept that in the back of my mind. But I was like, let me finish out college. Let me see if I get any clearer direction. Um, and eventually, I graduated college and no, it was my second semester of senior year of college, and I still didn't know what I wanted to do. I was applying to all of these office jobs. Nothing was exciting me. I was like, I want to find some passion. So I went back to the school, and I was looking into it, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I have never made that big of an investment in myself before, and I was like, I don't necessarily know if this is going to lead me to coaching, but I know it's going to teach me a lot regardless, and I just wanted to do it. So I signed up and I started actually my finals week of college. I started IAN. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. And then I finished it out. I actually moved to Tampa, Florida after just a hell of a year that year. And I moved to Florida and, um, and graduated in April, 2019. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. So, um, let's kind of, we'll go more to today and talk <laughs> about the things that 
you know you do now. I want to be very clear for people out there because there, there's no shame in this. You know, I, I just want to know where people are at and what's actually attainable and possible. Do you actively deal with any of these mental health symptoms anymore? And if you do, like to what degree are they still present? Because I mean, you're medication free for several years now. Right. Obviously, something worked pretty significantly. Right. So I would say that I I would consider myself more prone to anxiety. But when I experience anxiety now, I feel like it's more just the typical, I'm anxious, I have something coming up. You know, I remember about July, August, I was in a job I was really unhappy with, like I was nannying part time or I was nannying full time at the time, actually. And it was creating a lot of anxiety. So I would have I would like wake up with the morning anxiety. And so the anxiety was there a little bit. And the anxiety will show up sometimes when there's stressful things happening in my life. Honestly, if I drink now, the next day, I'm typically a little bit more anxious. Um, I will maybe have a panic attack a year, two max. Um, And that, again, will be triggered by whatever it may be. Um, OCD, again, if I'm having a, if I have like a rough day, if, you know, I was drinking the night before, maybe I'll see once in a while, it's not an everyday thing, but I will see every once in a while, some of those habits kind of pick back up a little bit and those like I'll have those thoughts but um and then the phobia not it's I'd say I'm like 70 80 percent there it's again none of these things are things that consume my life and that is the biggest thing are they things that will creep in once in a while if I'm exhausted if I'm sick if I'm was drunk the night before absolutely um but do I consider myself to be battling with my mental health not in the slightest no that, that's awesome. And I like, I like hearing that stuff is very realistic for people. Yeah. Um, and it makes sense. Yeah. I think anyone would take what you just said over the things that you were dealing with before. Yeah. And here's the thing. I mean, for people like us, not only were you, if this actually was affected by the things you were eating, well, that means, unfortunately, since you were already dealing with them at eight and didn't know this stuff, you were damaging your body unintentionally for another mm-hmm. decade plus, <laughs> not to mention, and guys, Everyone knows this. I'm not anti-medication, but every medication out there is inherently toxic to the body. It is a foreign substance. It is something the body has to process. So Courtney also went through the you know whole ordeal of having to deal with this medication for that long period of a time. Actually, I mean, it really is to me, and I think you know this as well. I don't say it lightly where I'm just happy that you feel as good as you do today, considering that you were on a medication like that for so long. Right. And we don't always know what's going to happen to people when we do that. So, I mean, this is great. But my other point is like, you're still, it's a journey that takes a while when we've been in this game for that long. I mean, certainly you're probably still getting better. I'm guessing, right? Like you're getting healthier, you're figuring things out. So who knows? I mean, it might go from one or two panic attacks a year to that's just not something you deal with anymore. And I think that will come. Absolutely. Awesome. So, all right, this transitioned and it's such a cool story because not only do you have all these things that you've dealt with, you have completely overcame them. And that's why, uh, again, this is so relevant and why it's being cross-promoted on the Overcoming Mental Health Challenges podcast. You're like the definition and epitome of what we look for. Mm -hmm. You turn this into something where now you're helping other people 
obviously you're not a psychologist, obviously you're not a doctor. So you offer this very unique thing and have the experience. I don't want to put uh, words in your mouth. So I'd love to hear like, how do you describe what you do and who you work with? Like, tell us about your coaching business and what, you know, encourage you to start that. Right. So I work with women typically in their twenties and thirties um, who are looking to break free from anxiety and really shift their mindset. So these are women who I've kind of distinguished between, you know, women who maybe were in my place at ages like eight to 15 who are really struggling and need like the actual professional help, you know, that obviously I'm not a mental health professional. That would be out of my scope of practice. But I look for women who are still struggling with anxiety, who maybe are kind of at that breaking point where they're like, they're ready for those changes. They're ready to do something differently. So typically around that same point, you know, when I was 21, 22, where I was struggling, but I wanted, I was so desperate to do anything and make those lifestyle changes. So I help women break free from their anxiety, shift out of, get themselves out of that negative mindset and develop healthy habits to really live a life that they're proud of, a life they feel good in, um, a mindset they feel good in. And, you know, I do this through, like I said, mindset, movement, nutrition. So working on self-love, relationships, that relationship within yourself, your mindset, negative thoughts, perspective shifts, limiting beliefs, all of those different things, learning how to talk back to the anxiety. And again, a lot of what I did learn in therapy I've incorporated into my coaching. Um, so mindset is one of the biggest ones, but then it's also movement. So finding ways to move your body. Each client is different. So I have clients who love lifting and I'm personally, I'm very into lifting and working out and all of that. So it's everything is very kind of structured to the client and their individual needs. Um, like a very bio-individualistic, yeah, I said that right, um, approach. Um, and then, you know, but just getting your body moving and the importance of that. And then another huge thing, obviously, is in nutrition. So learning how to clean up your diet, looking into ingredients, recipes, healing your gut, all of that. So just a combination of the three to really learn how to break free. And that's why, like, my programs, I have to actually call it She Breaks Free because I'm really teaching clients, teaching women how to break free their old ways of being and I'm imagining what I was like at that breaking point and knowing I wanted to change I just had no idea how so this is what I do I help them just I guide them the way and I show them how and I show them what's possible and that they really do have so much more control than we think amazing and Courtney is obviously the real deal guys I'm very careful about um who we bring on to talk about you know coaching or business services mm -hmm. this is someone who's done it you know this is someone who's actually done it and what we really, I mean, it's a whole separate conversation, but you, I think one of the reasons that your work is so important in addition to other you know, types of professionals that people might be using is because we're talking about all this stuff. Like you said, it's almost fun changing the diet around, doing all this stuff. Uh, guys, it's not really cool being a 20-something-year-old going gluten-free, trying to eat organic, trying to do all this stuff. Now, we're lucky and blessed that we have a, a network of people that are – they we overlap with a lot of friends that are into this stuff. But these are tough changes to make, right? And it's it would have been so helpful to me to have someone that could have supported me through that and rather than me like be out here trying to do this alone, mm -hmm. um, you know, because it's it just – again, my friends were nice about it, but it just wasn't cool. Um, I had moments where like I would cheat and stuff, which was really 
you know, you don't shame yourself for that, but it was detrimental to my health. So right. it was unfortunate. Um, so I just think it's very cool that you offer this. Where can people find you if they're like, all right, I got to talk to this woman. So I am on Instagram as, am I giving the little at thing or is that going to be here? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. So at Court Hayes um, with an underscore at the end. So C-O-U-R-T-H-A-Y-E-S with an underscore. Um, so that is my Instagram. And then from there, I have a little link in my bio with my website. I've got some eBooks. I have my whole story on there, my coaching application, all that information is all on my Instagram in the bio. And then you can find everything through there. Okay. And just because, and by the way, this is so common nowadays that, I mean, I'd literally say probably 30 or 40% of the time, the thing that people give me, um, is their Instagram. But when we do have like parents here sometimes that don't use that type of thing and maybe they're like, all right, well, listen, I want Courtney to work with like my 18, 19 year old Mm -hmm. daughter or something like that. So is there an email or something that they can reach you at? Is that something you feel comfortable sharing? Absolutely. So just real quick, the website is Mm courthaze.com. And then the email is courtneyhayescoaching at gmail.com. Perfect. And all of this stuff will be in the show notes, folks. So um, if you forget any of that, pretty simple stuff, but you can just go right down and scroll down and click on there. Definitely encourage you to reach out to Courtney. Um, I cannot believe we are coming up on an hour already here. This has been really fun. And again, just it's always cool to hear from someone. uh, This is truly probably one of the most similar overlapping stories I've heard so far um, in terms of mental health. And I've, I've definitely heard a few. So very cool talking with you today. Is there anything else? I always give this opportunity at the end. Anything else that you know, you'd like to say that maybe I didn't touch on today? Or did we cover it all? No, I think we covered it all. That is awesome. All right, perfect. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Overcoming Mental Health Challenges podcast slash the Health Coach Ev show since this was cross-promoted. Remember, you can always check our live episodes out on the radio on www.dbam.com. We broadcast every Wednesday from 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. But if you missed that, feel free to check us out on the podcast. We have all episodes saved here um, on every major podcast platform. Just search for Overcoming Mental Health Challenges or The Health Coach F Show. And as always, please give us a five-star rating on Apple. It really does help us get higher rankings and for more people to see this stuff. We really appreciate it. I will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in.